Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. This week's episode is a recording of one of our Global Autism Community exclusive events. The topic of this roundtable discussion was overcoming obstacles. Participating in this event were autism self-advocates Stephanie DeKramer, Cassidy Hooper, Jeff Snyder, and David Sharif, as well as community members Kia Burton and Karen Shapiro. As with previous live event recordings, the sound quality is a bit inconsistent because we hadn't originally planned it as a podcast episode. However, I assure you that the stories and perspectives shared are really worth listening to. In today's conversation, we discuss setting boundaries, finding a job, making friends, dating, and maintaining relationships. In this episode, discover what's possible when obstacles become opportunities. To learn more about the panelists in this discussion, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. Roundtable discussions like the one you'll hear today are open exclusively for members of our online Global Autism community. We select a different theme each month, and our moderators monitor posts daily to ensure that our online space remains safe and respectful. If you'd like to attend and participate in any of our future events, you can sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you the Global Autism Community. All right, so let's start with Steph. How about you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Steph. My middle name is Kiara. I'm an IT consultant, data analyst, but on the weekends I do professional wrestling. And my middle name is Kiara. That's my wrestling name is Kiara. So I'm a pro wrestler slash IT consultant, which is very fun. Rachel met me when I was working for Autocon. They specifically employ people on the autism spectrum, which like I love that company so much. Changed my life. It gave me so much confidence. And although I'm, I've moved on, I'm working for a different company now. I've learned a lot of things there, and that's where I first sort of surround myself with other people who are like me, like on the autism spectrum. And yeah, that's it, really. Thanks, Steph. Welcome. All right, and Cassidy. Hi, I'm Cassidy. I'm Hooper. I'm 27 years old. I am an autistic self-advocate. I was diagnosed with being on the autism spectrum at 17 years old. And I also have a rare genetic condition called Turner syndrome. And I was diagnosed with that at nine days old. I'm from Mississippi. And um, yeah, I'm just glad to be a part of this. Good to see you again, Cassidy. And I see you again too, Rachel. All right, Jeff. 
For those of you who don't know, my name is Jeff Snyder. I am a autism neurodiversity self-advocate and public speaker. I am based in uh, Seekonk, Massachusetts, near Providence, Rhode Island. Some of my um, highlights, I was first diagnosed with autism at 21 months old. Upon my graduation from Seekonk Public Schools in 2007, I became the first student with autism to have completed pre-K through grade 12 without coming from other towns or school districts. I've been living in my own apartment since 2015. I also run a web website called Going the Distance on WordPress. I've been writing that for about three months now. In addition to being a moderator for the Global Autism Project, I am also a core team leader for the Autism Tree Project Foundation in San Diego, California. And just recently I was appointed as a junior board member for the Unicorn Children's Foundation in Boca Raton, Florida. Great stuff, Jeff. Thank you. You're welcome. David. I am David Sharif, diagnosed with autism at the age of four, fulfilled my general education at a multidisciplinary school administered by a large educational nonprofit in Los Angeles. And I became the first student from my school to attend a prestigious university in the other side of the country. I am a magna cum laude graduate of Pace University with a degree in political science and peace and justice studies. Other than a community moderator with Autism Knows No Borders, I am a motivational speaker, a job coach, and an author. I published my first book earlier in March, and I was admitted to a speaker's bureau with a Jewish and disabilities organization in February. I am also a world traveler, so my Instagram name is David the Traveler. I'm also a bowler, so people can call me David the Bowler. All right. Thanks, David. And Karen. Hi. I am David Sharif's mom and uh, live in Los Angeles, California, and my profession is I'm a film producer. How's that documentary going that you're working on? It's coming along. We're still in the development stage, and uh, we hope to go into production next year on it, just so everyone knows what Rachel's talking about. I'm producing a documentary that uh, David's brother, Ben, is directing on the transition into adulthood for people on the autism spectrum. We'll be following people throughout the country, hoping to shine a light on some of the challenges, but also, but a hopeful documentary of what can be achieved by everyone. And but also shining a light on what needs to be done. And it's mainly from the voices of people on the autism spectrum. We we really want to hear everyone's voices themselves. So we've been interviewing different people on Zoom and who have been helping us in the research of the project. It's been going very well. So thank you for asking, Rachel. I'm Kia. Um, I work with the Global Autism Project. I'm one of our moderators on the community. So if you see my face, that's me. But when I say clients, I am a BCBA. So I do work with individuals spanning from ages two. My oldest was 76, typically mostly on the spectrum and then some 
with other developmental disabilities. Where are you based? Texas. Nice. Like Austin or? West Texas. So uh, the city called Midland. It's about four hours from Dallas. All right. So the theme for today is overcoming obstacles. And we have a few subtopics that have been discussed in the community this month. And they are setting boundaries, finding a job, making friends, and maintaining relationships. Let's start with what are some examples of when you've had to set boundaries for people around you in regards to yourself? That's a really good question. I think sometimes you could be friends with someone for a long time and you get close and close to them. And obviously having a proper finding a genuine connection with a real friend is something that we don't find often so when we do find it it's like very treasure it's like wow I want to keep hold of this then I've personally had a situation where a friendship turned toxic once I began living with that person it was in university and setting boundaries with that friend I think it's hard to know when you're like being manipulated and stuff and it's like yeah setting boundaries with friendships and even knowing when to end a friendship, which can be really sad, but necessary sometimes. Sometimes you don't know you have a boundary until it's been crossed. And then you'll, you'll know it because you get this tight feeling in your stomach. And you'll get like these body sensations, which are like little clues, little signals. It's your body's way of saying, hey, this isn't quite right. But, like if you're in a dark alley and someone's walking and they don't, you know, you get that weird feeling. But again, that's you can mix that up with general anxiety. So like sometimes with anxiety, you feel anxious all the time. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a bad situation. So, yeah, knowing when to set a boundary with a friend or with a stranger is, yeah, really tricky, isn't it? So, Stephanie, how have you done that in the past? What's been helpful for you? I think taking a step back, even if it seems mean, like, because we're very honest people, right? We don't, we want to be, because we've generally been through crap stuff in our lives. We don't, it's not nice to have to cut someone off because we've probably had that happen to us, right? Been frozen out in friendship groups at school. No one likes that feeling of being ghosted, right? And we're empathetic and we're just like, we would never want to do that to someone else. But the people who did it to us were probably just mean bullies. But sometimes it's okay to do that to someone else, even if it feels wrong, because it's like your own boundary. And I know sometimes with with girls, I'm sure it can happen with guys too and non-binary people. But sometimes with girls, same with like relationships. If if you're starting a relationship and it doesn't feel right, it might feel mean to break up with someone, but you have to do it. And that person can say text like, oh, give me a chance, I'm really sorry, and all these things to, like, pull at the heartstrings, metaphorically, and, like, knowing that sometimes you have to be a bit mean. Okay, this is a really good example. I spoke to my therapist. He's really good at thing on the spectrum. And I get exhausted with small talk, right? That's common thing on the spectrum. So I was on a plane for nine hours to Canada. I had this person next to me that was like, and I'm just like... I wanted to be nice and keep talking back to them like, oh, hi, la, 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 la. And I kind of just wanted to like be in the zone, put some music on. And I was like, is that mean? Is that mean to do that? But then Johan, my therapist was like, it's okay just to kind of nod, but then say, I'm going to read a book now. 
or put music in now. Like you don't have to be a super polite person all the time. Like it's okay to have boundaries like that because it preserves your energy. Yeah, going off on what Stephanie said about not wanting to be mean spirited, like I'm the same way. And especially when someone's like talking constantly and I'm like, you know, getting tired and want to do something else. I don't want to hurt their feelings like in situations like that. Like I'm very kind spirited, good hearted, and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. So, yeah, I'm the same way, Stephanie, on that. So that's how I am. Yeah. (laughs) Jeff or David, anything to add about times that you've set boundaries? Well, I will say when it comes to setting boundaries, being someone who is a social media influencer, I do get a lot of like phony friend requests from people that I've never even met before. And I automatically delete any friend requests and, and I block them. So, and sometimes I've had, particularly when it comes to being around women on the autism spectrum, because there have been times where I'm pretty sure you guys have heard of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I try to be Dr. Jekyll, but sometimes I become Mr. Hyde. And I mean, I'm not going to go into details about it, but I've had instances where I get, you know, shut out because I become Mr. Hyde and I, and I don't even realize what's going on. So what you really have to consider is if you're a guy and even girls too, you have to step back and reevaluate yourself. Like, what am I doing wrong? Why aren't I respecting these people's boundaries? So you really have to kind of take into account that what you're doing is wrong and social media can be a major, you know, influence on that. So you also have to really, you have to set boundaries when it comes to like, you know, is this the right person that I want to, you know, be with the rest of my life? Because there have been a lot of instances, particularly in the autism community, where both guys and girls have been in toxic relationships. I mean, for me, I always say that being in a romantic relationship is a whole different animal. And I didn't even want to be in a romantic relationship because I'm happy with my life just the way I am. But sometimes, again, you know, the Mr. Hyde in me wants to be in a romantic relationship. So it's kind of like a back and forth struggle. And it can be very scary sometimes for both you and the person that you're with. And unfortunately, I've had friendships end because of that. And I think the more awareness that we have, the more that we can better help people become better friends with while keeping the Mr. Hyde stuff out. And I'm going to be honest here. This is, a, this is not a very easy thing for me to talk about, but I felt like with this roundtable, it's something that I need to get off my chest. So Thank you for listening. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. And I just want to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in a relationship. Mm. It's perfectly fine. And it's fine if you don't either, but you don't have to feel guilty for it if you want to. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, this is not an easy thing for me to talk about. And even my psychologist, you know, it was still wasn't easy to talk about. And I would try to keep things by myself. But then over the summer, I had a meeting with my psychiatrist who finally told me, you know, 
what was really going on with me. So I've been trying to improve myself with what I need to do to be a better person because as a self-advocate and public speaker, I'm being a role model to people and I don't want the Mr. Hyde spilling into the Dr. Jekyll. So it's not just boundaries, but it's also balance. And you really have to be extremely careful when it comes to what you are trying to do, because if your personal life spills over into your professional life, you're going to get yourself into major trouble. We've seen a lot of that already in the news and stuff like that. So, I mean, I just want to say, you know, if, if you're going to try to set boundaries, if you want to set boundaries, then there's no better time to start than right now. You need to better focus yourself. You have to understand that you not only have to set personal boundaries for yourself, but there's going to be others that set personal boundaries around for themselves. And there's no better time to teach than right now. So actually starting with relationships, I was in a relationship one time that I was hoping for the best for, but didn't go out as well. A lot has changed since then. So I am not putting myself and I have overcome the thing where I'm just not putting myself in oh, I can't be in a relationship anymore. Even if I like the benefits of being single, who knows what could happen to me. Maybe a relationship can be remarkable. And when I think about relationships, I do have some questions for all of you. Have any of you watched Love on the Spectrum? I have not. It's available on Netflix. Season two got released. You, you may, and definitely a lot of mixed feelings about it, but it doesn't hurt to give it a shot. There's also another good movie that can be happy and sad, but very touching and a lot to learn from. It's called Adam. I've seen it before back in one of my social skills group. It came out in 2009. His name is the, the actor who plays Adam is Hugh Dancy, easy to find out. But going back to my, to my views outside of the resources, I have built extraordinary friendships. Actually, when I went to summer camp in 2011, at the age of 14, I found my long life best friend who lives in Evanston, Illinois. I've been to multiple day camps. I have tried my best to be as interactive as I could, even if I was social at times. Sometimes the interactions did not progress the way I wanted, but the exercise stations were the big relief of what I could do for myself. Sometimes I need time to zero in and sit down and think about, okay, I actually did something wrong. And I feel like I acted like an ogre. Anyone seen the movie Shrek? Mm. And sometimes, you know, Shrek tries his best to be friendly. He likes his privacy. He never knew that he would be saying that he loves Princess Fiona so much. And even if he is married, he can act like an ogre at times. And sometimes I am in that scenario. And if I feel like I've been through a common, if someone made a common mistake that to my perspective is not really excusable, then I can clench my fists very fast and then 
that leads me to missing the point on their sides about what they have to go through as well. And then asking me, what do you want me to do? And then I'm not really going to the answer yet. So that can definitely be a waste of their time, even if it frustrates me as much as anything. And then after learning from it and still trying to process it, I take a nap. I play games on my phone. I cook food at home. I even manage to chat with other friends who I like very much. And I have multiple ways to get over the frustration that I have witnessed. Thanks to all that summer camp gave me, I now have friendships worldwide. I would very much like to go back to LA and see friends from my childhood. I'm going to Colorado next month and I have plans to see a friend and who knows if it will work out or not. But it's like I said before, summer camp was the major resource to building the friendships that I never imagined. And it was not just finding my long life best friend. Additional remarkable things came. And when I was not with those people in person, they were my backbone because I was constantly berated about my adventures. And that hurt me even more that I could just try and manage time to chat with them on social media. And on social media, as much as I like to check notifications, I have learned to be mindful about what to post and not to post. And be careful that whatever kind of content I'm putting out, that it is appropriate content. And I've also gotten to the habit of trying to post funny stuff, but also taking extra caution that, okay, that's not really going to be perceived as funny. Thanks, David. I think it's pretty common for individuals on the autism spectrum You know, personally, for me, you know, since I'm so kind-hearted that I want to see the good in everybody, and I can't tell the difference whether someone's good or bad, and, I mean, I want to see the good in everybody. So it's hard to judge character of a person, and I think that's very common on the autism spectrum. And I just wonder if any of you had or like that you know, and if it's common for people on the spectrum. (laughs) Steph, you're nodding your head, yes? Yeah, I think we can be doormats sometimes. And by doormats, I mean people, like, step on you sometimes or, like, you give someone a million chances. I read this awful story online. It wasn't me, but this girl thought she made friends in high school and they they kind of only really wanted to be her friend because she had a car. And so they invited her to the mall and she drove them there. And then they were in the car park and they're like, great, you wait here. We'll see you in two hours. Then they all went shopping without her. And she was basically a taxi ride for them. And it was like Reddit. So she was like, should I have waited? So she ended up waiting for them. And then when they came back, giving them the lift back. And then everyone in the comments was like, you should have just left them. Like, screw them. Like they they're just using you and I think it took a while for this girl to really 
realise she was being used. But yeah, I think we have a tendency to try and always see the good in people, which is which is lovely. And it can be good because sometimes society rejects people that shouldn't be rejected. But on the other hand, there's also bad in people. And like, you got to take a stand and put your foot down. And if you feel like people are stepping on you or walking on you, metaphorically, then to just stand up for yourself. The thing is, we want to see the good in everybody. But unfortunately, we have to understand that sometimes people are just, you know, too far gone in the head, whether it's because, you know, they think they're entitled, they think because, you know, they're above everybody. I mean, regardless of status or celebrity or rank, we are all human beings and we have feelings. And unfortunately, for us in the autism and neurodiversity communities, I do agree with Steph that we do we, we can be doormats. I mean, we're prone to being walked over like carpets or rugs or doormats. I mean, because some of us can't speak up for ourselves. I mean, some of us are nonverbal. I know parents who have kids that are nonverbal. They can't, you know, talk. And unfortunately, that makes them easy to just be taken advantage of. And that's a really it's a scary thing, not just for social, socially, but also for safety reasons. I mean, because when it comes to safety, I mean, we're prone to being taken advantage of or walked over. I mean, you have to really watch out for those that are trying to really take advantage of. It's like Little Red Riding Hood or The Emperor's New Clothes. I mean, you're basically seeing someone masking to just get close to you and take advantage of you. And that sometimes ultimately leads, leads to um, consequences. So it's more about not just setting boundaries, but also being more self-aware of our actions, the actions of others and the areas that we are in. So it's really more about awareness. Can someone share a personal story of when they've overcome this specific obstacle whether it is not being taken advantage of or making friends, like making new friends, trying to find someone that is genuinely trying to be your friend. Oh, bye, Cassidy. Thank you. See you next time. I have been through several examples like that, but I don't feel the need to share them because I'm not comfortable with it. And if I'm uncomfortable, it's unhealthy to share it only privately with friends or my loved ones. Okay. And that's a perfect example of share, of setting boundaries, David. So thank you for doing that. That's so true. I used to think I had to be honest about everything to everyone, but yeah. No pressure. No one has to answer this. I'm just giving you space if you'd like to share. I can definitely share based on one of my clients that I work with. If you guys would like to kind of hear their situation. Of course, I won't use names. So I had an adult client and he was in a situation where he thought somebody was his friend. They would hang out, go to lunch. And then we would use those opportunities to kind of work on like just some in vivo, like social type of scenarios, how to keep the conversation going, things like that. So things were going seemingly pretty well. However, my client's parents started to notice that Every time he would hang out with this particular person, 
they would only really be posting him on their like social media page. And they were able to see a lot of comments and um, captions rather that in a sense was like coming across like the friend was just doing him a good deed. Like he was just doing a good deed. Like, oh, look at me. I'm hanging out with somebody that has special needs and and getting a lot of comments based on, oh, you're such a great person. But and then ended up finding, again, additional comments like social media. You can you can just honestly, it can just be the worst sometimes where they actually saw messages that was like, yeah, I'm just being his friend because I feel bad for him and I get more followers on my social media. So needless to say, it was pretty devastating to my client and then to their family because they had been hanging out and kind of navigating that space after that was really difficult. And my client did have a pretty difficult time for several months in forming new relationships and being able to trust somebody new and what their intentions were. In this case, social media helped us. It was uh, detrimental, but it helped in finding the truth which prevented further damage for this client because I mean that's what it was it was a a damaged trust and it impacted a lot for their future so yeah that's so unfortunate Mm -hmm. all right guys let's transition to talking about finding employment which can also be a big obstacle for people on the spectrum and we have a question here actually this question is from Kia So when looking for employment, how did you find a job that focused on your strengths? So Steph, you said that you're an IT consultant. Would you like to share how you landed there? I think big thing is a job will list a bunch of requirements and we'll read it and think, oh, I don't meet that one. Cross next. No, don't do that. Okay. Because It's the thing you think, oh, they're being 100% truthful. These are the requirements. If I only meet three out of five, then I don't meet the requirements, right? That seems logical, right? No. So a lot of the time they just list a whole bunch, but they don't actually expect you. Like you should just apply anyway. Like always just apply and be like fake it till you make it. Like I'm not saying fake anything. I mean, like, I mean, your attitude should fake it till you make it. So I mean, Let's say, okay, you need this many, you need like two years experience in Python and they want this much experience in Microsoft Excel and they want this much, blah, 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 blah. And maybe you didn't go to university. Maybe you went to a polytechnic. That's a UK thing. Maybe it's like a trade school. I know there's like different names, community college in US. Like you might not meet the requirements, but if there's some things on the list that you meet, you should totally just apply because lots of times people get jobs that don't meet all the requirements. And I think it's an autism thing to think that whoever wrote this job application is being 100% honest. And if you just follow the guideline of the job application, you just tick the boxes, then you'll get the job. That's not how it works in the real world. So the good thing when I was applying to Auticon, which was that they posted their job advert with autism in mind. So that was quite straightforward. It was very clear what they were looking for. But um if you did graduate from a school and you have like a careers service or a careers advisor that you can go back to, it's really good to work with them because they can help you kind of decipher. There's lots of vocabulary that's kind of confusing. They could say one thing, but mean something else. And 
yeah, so applying for jobs, don't don't make barriers needlessly for yourself. And even if you only meet half the requirements, sometimes it's still worth it to apply. I've had a couple of postings where like I didn't know anything about this certain software and I kind of just picked up on the job and I kind of just did it and I kind of just went for it. So, yeah. Yeah, that is great advice. And David, do you have something to share with your experience as a job coach? Are you still doing that? Yes. So I have been a job coach for a large local nonprofit in New York City. It's called AHRC. I was hired a month before the pandemic. I have had a variety of responsibilities where I could work part-time and do my best because AHRC is not an easy company to work with. And there is a lot of stress to handle with the drama of the people you are supporting and communication can go in and out and that that can be frustrating but you have to consider the point of view of the neurodiverse individual itself and you have to tell them directly oops you made this mistake let's practice it again we practice scenarios we play videos and actually my career counselor who got a promotion in July, who got a promotion to be the assistant director, used to work with AHRC. I participated in employment readiness workshops twice during my college life at Pace University in the OASIS program. He and other facilitators and coordinators from AHRC, they trained me about the world of employment with applying for jobs, resume updating, cover letter writing, and interview preparation. Having gone through all of that experience, I now feel accustomed to every single process in the employment field. And this is not setting boundaries or not being open-minded. Never apply for something that you're not qualified for, or you think you won't do your best with. Apply for something, apply for employment that may connect to your interests and that you believe in the self-confidence that you will do your best with. And with the voluntary work that I have done with the Global Autism Project and the connections that I have made since the pandemic and even knowing this company further, I do feel that I will have great success if I am given a promotion with this company. And I have even applied to be an academic coach for a college comprehensive support program where I can coach students with college life success, which I have thrived for when I have been told that college would be good for me. Others said that a bachelor's would not amount to anything for me. I took the advice from every instructor and educator. And if I ever get that position, I plan to apply what I have learned. And it will bring back countless memories that would absolutely <laughs> put me to tears uh, right away. 
I'm also writing stuff. I, I wrote a book and I received a bit of compensation for that book. I'm even writing another book about summer camp. And I don't care how it turns out because writing is not about compensation. It's about actually telling the story that, you, you know, you want many people to to know about and what you're going through. My grandmother is a poet. She's a writer. She recently had her published book, and she's kind of the reason why I developed kind of my own strategy to write and then with potential to get some little payment for that. But if I applied for anything in employment, it would be the autism field. But my career focus is to be a global professional speaker like the famous autism advocates, Dr. Stephen Short, Dr. Carrie Magro, and Haley Moss. They are the examples. They are the role models of the kind of actual career and number one employment that I want to have. So, oh yeah, Jeff, thank you for for bringing that out. Temple Grandin as well, who is now statued because she is a a legend. Legends never die. And we have plenty of autism advocates who have become those legends. So I'm thriving to be like that. All right. Thanks, David. And Jeff, on this topic of finding a job, could you share what your experience was like in the application process, the interview process of the job that you have now? Well, I will say, first of all, I've been in the retail industry for over 15 years now, almost 15 years, I should say. And retail for me is kind of like a stepping stone because my ultimate career goal is to be, like David said, uh, a public speaker and a neurodiversity self-advocate. And what I do in retail is nothing more than a day job. And just because you work and get paid for something, it doesn't mean that you should stick with it full time. I mean, in May of this year, I decided to cut down from three to four days a week to just two days. And, and it's really probably the best thing that I've ever done. And it allows me to focus growing on the autism, neurodiversity community and public speaking. And like David, I've actually been compensated for my speaking services. And this past summer, I actually did two paid speaking engagements so far this year. Um, one was for a behavioral clinic in East Providence. That was back in April. And then I did a speaking engagement for a consulting firm based in, well, they're really more based in Orlando, but they're all around the country. And then right now I'm working on preparing for a paid speaking engagement with a technology company from Chicago sometime in October but it's more about finding your passion. And sometimes the jobs that we work at, like for me in retail, they're just like gasoline. The money you earn from those day jobs fuels what you really want to do. And the money that I earn allows me to, you know, be more involved with organizations like the Autism Tree Project Foundation in San Diego, where we hold events for autistic and neurodiverse families and also allows me to become, to do what I do on the junior board with the Unicorn Children's Foundation. So 
if you're going to get a day job, consider it like a stepping stone. Get a chance to be out there in the community, being around people, trying to find your talents, and you can take those talents and take them into your dream passion, which right now I'm living the dream. I've been living this for about two years now. Prior to that, I was doing what's known as a fan fiction writer, and people never really took me seriously because, and part of the reason is that I was in the Brony fandom for about seven to eight years. And then once My Little Pony Friendship is Magic ended in 2019, I decided, you know what, I got to expand. What can I take to learn from my time in the Brony fandom and my day job to put into the autism neurodiversity community? So I've, you know, I've done public speaking. I, you know, have created a website called Going the Distance, which I did post into the chat wall at the beginning of the uh, roundtable. So all those components allow me to become what I am today, which is becoming a self-advocate, being a public speaker, traveling around virtually and in person to just kind of share my story and get to know members of the community that otherwise may not have anyone else to turn to. So that's part of the business of what I'm in. I mean, would I like to be monetized more? Well, yeah, but it's really more about enjoy finding your passion and just making people happy than as opposed to making money. Because if you're focused on getting money, then you're not going to enjoy it very well. Yes, well said. And I'd like to pause and open it up to our audience members if you have any questions that you'd like to ask the panelists. Yeah, I have a question. And I might have missed this early on, Steph, so forgive me if I did. You said that your position um, when you were looking was geared towards individuals on the autism spectrum. So for that, when you say it was a, a straightforward type of kind of approach, did you find that this is something that you think should be kind of streamlined with multiple companies to have where it's kind of like that very clear layout? Did you find that more helpful for you to kind of maybe avoid or not hit a certain obstacle from that particular point of view? I think, yeah, I wish job postings in general were more straightforward. Yeah. I know Auticon and I know a few other companies, they're trying, as well as employing people on the spectrum, they're trying to have a consultancy service where they go into other companies, help them be more friendly to and more accessible for people with who are neurodiverse. It depends who writes the job advert, right? There's a lot of HR speak and corporate speak that you have to. I spent ages kind of reading through hundreds of job postings and kind of I made a little dictionary for myself and I, I borrowed some of the words to put on my own CV, like delivered this or managed this or, you know, like buzzwords, right? Yeah, completely. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And it kind of just got my head turning with, like you said, from the HR perspective that there being a need maybe for some rework in HR departments across multiple industries to make job postings even more because let's say like what you just said when you gave that advice, like don't count yourself out. A job posting can immediately be posted in a certain way at an individual on the spectrum might say, if this isn't clear enough, I'm out. And there are that's already an obstacle Exactly. That could be avoided if it was proactively kind of reworked. So 
Really love that point of view. Here in the UK, we have the NHS, which is a state-run organisation. And when they post job adverts, there's a pro and con. So with the NHS, you get a, an advertised salary. They have a band. So band five is, I don't know, 20K. Band six is 30K. So the thing that attracted me to state positions was the fact that they actually said what the salary was, whereas 99% of pri- private organisations will just say, competitive or yeah (laughs) salary discussed in second interview yeah yeah but the uh the actual posting itself I think the state here needs a lot of work because they have this competency framework so to justify I'm going to really quickly try and find an NHS job posting but a competency framework it is crazy like it is so detailed it's the most it's like pages and pages of the job description and it's so vague when they're going through your cv and cover letter you have to demonstrate that you've met the competency so there's one quality risk and safety lead oh goodness so it's like ability to communicate complex information ability to work with teams significant improvement change management experience experience development developing and implementing quality strategies knowledge of risk management systems, risk management training. And this is actually simpler than the one I applied to, but they just, the the way this job posting is laid out, it's not really clear what the day-to-day activities are. So I always ask, what's the day-to-day job going to be like in and out? And usually they're very obtuse and again it's HR speak so I I think if if you're ever able on LinkedIn to connect to someone that already works for the company and ask them questions people are really helpful on LinkedIn like I used to kind of avoid LinkedIn because it's kind of another social media thing and I was thinking oh I'm not very good at this but yeah yeah, it's really helpful because people will give you the plain English what is this job actually about Mm -hmm. and it'll give you a better understanding what about the actual interview process? So David, you mentioned that you work with some individuals and do some training on preparing them for the interview. Could you share some tips? Not necessarily. Throughout my work, I really didn't do interview preparations with them. Oh, okay. I accompanied them out in the community because the kind of employment that I looked for is more community-based where I can just get out of the office a bit and then give them strategies to enhance their talents on what they are pursuing. But what I was mentioning earlier is I did mock interviews during college when I was being trained, and I still keep all of the sheets that my career counselor gave me so that I can remind myself of what can happen so I can do my own preparation for an interview whenever it occurs. And again, it's just just a plain sheet that has common questions and categories and then even questions that I can ask at the end of an interview. And all the podcasts that I have done in the past I treat it like it's an interview, even if I'm technically not applying for work, because the podcasts are an opportunity for me to get my voice out there. Back to the interviews. 
find your own way to prepare for them. If you want me to send you the sheets that I have, by all means, I will happily email them to you. And then you can use them as a reference anytime need be. Thanks, David. Stafford, Jeff, do you have anything to add about the interview process? Well, I think for the interview process, the, the, the key thing is to practice, but also to understand that this is just a simple conversation. But some people will tend to go way over, overboard with it and say that, you know what, you're going to suck at this interview. You're not going to do well. However, for me, there's a fact that, you know, I had to learn how to fill out a job application. One thing I've learned about the job application is you, you kind of have to lie to get the job because, you know, if you be open and honest about everything, then you're not going to get the job. They don't want to interview you. So you kind of have to play their own game. You kind of have to play the game that they want you to play in order if you want a job at this particular organization. And then as for the interview itself, what would be a good way to help you is to do mock interviews and have your job coach, your parent, your guardian, your friend, whatever, be the part of the interviewer. Like for example, if you're getting a job at McDonald's, they probably go through a rigorous interview process. So you could um, pretend like you're going to McDonald's and you're getting a job there, you know, and then on the day of the interview itself, you know, the first thing that the potential employer is going to look for is appearance because what you wear to the interview is really going to be their first impression of you. So, and then when they ask you the questions, you know, they're also going to be monitoring uh, body language. They're going to be monitoring your facial expressions and your overall confidence in your job and the job that you want to get. And it's really important to ask each question as truthfully as possible. And this is going to go back to, this goes back to the application process. If you're going to answer honestly, then you're probably not going to get the job. You've got to skirt the boundaries a little bit to get to where you want to go. And then also one thing that really helped me when I got my job at a supermarket that I work at is the, to have the job coach go into the interview with you just as a way to kind of like back you up if you forget a word or if you stumble on a particular, if you can't say things as clearly as possible. And if you don't, if, if you don't want the job coach to be in the interview with you, but the job coach has to be in with you in the interview, then you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. So what job coaches really want is what's best. They want you to be successful and they will, and that starts with the application that starts with the interview. And at the end of the day, when all is said and done, everybody around you wants to be successful at what you do. So Jeff, you said something about not being honest in the interview. What did you mean by that? Well, sometimes, you know, it's about disclosure. And a couple of months ago, I did a blog about disclosing during a job interview. And sometimes we want to say like, you know, oh, I, I want to work. I honestly, I really want to work, you know, two days a week. When in reality, you should really put in, you know, seven days a week. That's a sign that the employer will see that you will commit to the business if you're hired. And 
and also you want to be honest about, you know, you want to hold off on disclosing until after you're hired, because then once you're hired, then you can just sit down with the employer and discuss, you know, what necessary accommodations that you want to get in this particular job, whether it's a, in a quiet setting, or, you know, you can wear headphones while you work, or if you don't like the fluorescent lighting, you can be in an area that doesn't like fluorescent lighting. So in reality, I mean, you could, some employers are okay with you disclosing during the interview, but there are others that are not. So if you're going to disclose, you're going to have to sometimes wait till after the interview. That, that's what I meant by not being honest. Okay. Can I just build on that, if that's all right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I get what you're saying, Jeff, because I think if you're applying for a small company, maybe they only have 20 or so employees, then they probably aren't as used to people saying about disabilities. So if, if you get there in the interview, it's like, oh, yeah, the fluorescent light thing gives me massive headaches and I need stuff printed on yellow paper and I need quiet when I work and sometimes I can be abrupt. And like, if sometimes if you're too honest, then they're like, Whoa. and like, I think about disclosure, it's like completely up to you. So like, obviously with Autocon and with my current job, I was obviously really upfront about it, but there are other jobs where I think it would have been better if I hadn't been as upfront. It kind of depends on the company culture. And I guess it's like completely up to you. Sometimes with some jobs, especially with things like retail, they'll ask you, why do you want this job? And it's like, I want to be paid money so I can afford to live. That's why I want the job. But what they really want you to say is, you know, I really love the ethics of Walmart or Asda or Tesco. And they want they want you to talk about the company values and maybe they want it only takes five minutes. You just go on the company website and you see like their mission statement. And you kind of there's a certain amount of parroting back what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you mean, Jeff, by like not being pretty honest, because like in the interview, if someone asked me, why do you want a job? It's like, so I can live and buy clothes, but like, they don't want to hear that. No, no, no. They don't want, they don't want you to, that's what I'm trying to say is that they do not want to hear things like that. I got it now. So when you're saying, if they ask you how many days a week you want to work, if you're being completely honest, you would say two, but that won't get you the job. Right. If you're just saying that, oh, I need money to make a living, that's a red flag. All right, guys. So we kind of talked about relationships at the beginning of the roundtable. We didn't get into too many details, but I'd like to open it up again and see if you guys have anything else to add. And this is on the topic of romantic relationships, which can be an obstacle for some autistic people. So Steph, you mentioned, have you been in a romantic relationship? Are you willing to talk? Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was kind of a bit of a late bloomer, I guess. So when everyone else was starting to get their very first boyfriend and girlfriend, I was still quite far behind. Oh my gosh. I've had some real red flag, like people, it's like, why did I put up with him? And it's, like I think it's it's okay to like pay for the dates and like I guess sometimes gender gender roles are okay sometimes but like there was this one guy I was dating and like I literally paid for every single date he never got me presents 
he he lived kind of far away. So whenever he came to visit me, I'd pay for his train ticket. Whenever I went to visit him, I'd I'd pay like I'd pretty much paid for everything, even though we both had jobs. So it's like, well, if they if they have a job and they're making money, like, so that's kind of when I was talking about being a doormat, I kind of look back and I'm like, sometimes it seems really obvious in hindsight, but because because I don't know, there's there's a lot of things I'm like why did I put up with that mm-hmm. when did you realize that he was maybe taking advantage of you it took me like ages well it's because when whenever I pay for his train ticket he'd say oh you don't have to or are you sure oh you really don't have to so he was saying these things so I was thinking oh he doesn't really want me to but I'm gonna pay for it anyway but because he was saying words like oh you really don't have to I thought that was like a genuine thing he was saying Uh, because he never really asked me to pay for pay for it but but we wouldn't really go on dates unless I paid for it otherwise we'd just be hanging out at his parents house or my parents house because back then and like there's a time when he got his own place and then decided to move back in with his parents so he could just save more money even though he was like getting his own place and it was like a really big good step that's when I started to think it was fishy and then I think what really broke the, the straw on, that broke the camel's back that popular express, expression which means like what really was the last straw was like we were having like the easiest low effort date it was like a zoom date or, or skype date this was like 2014 and I spent ages getting ready, putting makeup on, which for me, because I'm not great at fine motor skills, takes a long time. So I put all in, in all this effort and it couldn't be bothered to show up for a Skype date. And that's when I was like, yeah, no, you can't be bothered to show up for that. And it was like, no excuse. It was just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm playing League of Legends on my app and I'm in a really good game right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. So that's my relationship story. Mm. So you were able to end it then? Yeah. And at the time I was like, oh, I don't really want to end it. I think this is a bad idea. But then I was like, I have to end it. So like, I was all crying. Like, I'm really sorry I have to do this. But now I'm like, I should have just been like, cut him off. Mm. So why do you think this is a common struggle for a lot of autistic people? Because people, we take people at face value. So if they say, oh, you don't really have to buy that ticket. Or, oh, I really don't want you to. Then you think they're genuine. And you think that they're being like nice. Like one time this guy was like kind of, we were queuing for a nightclub. I know I can't believe I even tried nightclubs, but we were queuing for a nightclub and this guy was really rude because he thought I stepped on his shoe, but I didn't. And then my boyfriend at the time didn't even really stand up for me. And I was kind of like, why didn't you? This guy was kind of talking, you know, swearing at me. I'm not going to repeat it, but he was like kind of bad mouthing me and you didn't say anything. So it's, it's stuff like that. You kind of think, well, if we were friends, not in a relationship, but if this was a friend, I'd stand up for a friend. Like I have a friend, Jenny. And if someone started like bad mouthing her, so like, why wouldn't a boyfriend or girlfriend do the same thing? Mm-hmm. The trap we fall into is to think that people are genuine when they say niceties. And by niceties, I mean like, oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, oh thank you so much. And actually they're being disingenuous. Right. And what's interesting about what you're saying, Steph, is that it's, you know, with dating and it's the same expectation across the board. But it's those, like you said, that taking at face value 
where an individual with autism might miss the subtle manipulation that might come that, right? Mm-hmm. But the expectation is the same across the board for, for, for everybody, for humans and relationships. We want people to defend us. We want people to do sweet things for us. We want to do that for other people. We want you to, like you said, treat me like a friend and stick up for me, right? But the extra layer is missing those, and everybody misses cues. I mean, I know I've missed cues before, like you said, that looking in hindsight, you're like, oh, wait a minute, you know? So it sounds a lot like uh, there's a lot of parallels, right? It's just how to find them in the adequate amount of time. Yep. And then even knowing, okay, now how do I deal with this obstacle? Yeah. This kind of, kind of ties into David's question, which was, yeah, what are you hoping to gain when you get into a romantic relationship? Like, what are you looking for? If you know me, I'm a world traveler. I'm looking for someone who loves travel as much as myself. I am also a bowler but technically that could be my own thing and I wouldn't expect that. I love going to sporting events and I could do that with another friend or my long life best friend. But what are the top priorities? Health, family, proper hygiene, world travel, and other needs that will create a successful living. You will not see the grind until it happens. It will take a great deal of actually seeing it and feeling it and being a detective about the person you are dating and then catching, oh, what happened, what went well, what didn't go well. And the reason why I am watching Love on the Spectrum is because they are, the purpose is they're trying to bring out an example of what to do and what not to do. And talking about relationships, this is a book by Dr. Carrie Magro, Autism and Falling in Love to the One That Got Away. It's an Amazon bestseller, definitely a must read. And whether you like it or not, I have no doubt that it would put you to tears like it did for me. In addition to the movie Adam that I mentioned earlier. And if you are struggling, utilize those resources because those examples will definitely play a role if you ever begin the relationship itself. And uh, who knows how long it could take or how long it could last. But it's also being able to deal with their own living habits because they're going to have different living habits that may not relate to uh, how you do it. But so be mindful of that. This is not discriminative, though. If the communication goes way beyond and falls off the cliff with indirect and direct or unpreferred communication style, then don't move forward with it. It's not discriminative. It's just straightforward that okay you're not going to communicate well with that person that's just other things that came to the back of my head religion not really another 
priority to say the least, but it's just a matter of how you're feeling, how your partner is feeling, and then you will have one date. Even if you may think it went well, the partner may think it didn't. And if you're not going out again on another date, second or third, then don't dwell on it. Find another one. And I have also been messaging or searching for people online. As a matter of fact, I am in a Meet You post-grad dating group where people can introduce themselves and say who they are, what they do, what they, what they like to do. They can send a direct message or not. I've sent at least seven or eight direct messages. Maybe one I got a response. Maybe the others I didn't. But if they don't reply to you, then that's not your problem. It's not their problem. Don't waste your time on it. That will affect your chances of even searching for another good one. So keep those things in mind. Know the common priorities. Know what you love the most over the things that you actually do for yourself. And uh, that's all that I can say. I don't know exactly what would happen to me. You won't know exactly until the relationship grind begins. Thanks, David. And Jeff, I know you mentioned earlier that this can be an uncomfortable topic for you, but would you like to share what you're hoping to gain from romantic relationships? Well, one thing I've always considered myself, one thing I always say to myself is if, if I ever decide to pursue a romantic relationship, it would have to be with someone that is on the same level as me, like someone that has the same interests as me. I mean, of course, some I posted in the chat wall that romantic relationships to me are like a whole different animal because it's a whole different way of learning. It's a whole, it's a whole education in itself. And if I wanted to give any personal advice to any guys that want to be in a romantic relationship, it's not mandatory. It's up to you to decide whether or not you want to pursue a romantic relationship. And I can say that romantic relationships, they're not for everybody. They're only for those that really want to be in a romantic relationship. If you're in a romantic relationship and you don't want to be in one, then what's the point? You're in a very complex situation that you don't want to be a part of. So it's really about having the passion and having the drive to be in a romantic relationship. That is if you want to. But for me personally, I work better more with platonic and professional relationships because that's who I am. And if you're in a platonic or professional relationship, that's even better than romantic relationships. And I got to tell you that romantic relationships, they don't last as long as regular like friendships or casual relationships. Sometimes it's better to just have a companion. It's better to get together with with someone like once or twice a month. To me, that's, that's my, my definition of being someone who is neurodiverse. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Any last thoughts on maintaining relationships or any questions from the audience? Maintaining is difficult. I guess it's like 
remembering to water a plant like my social meet I have a social battery and like I can go months without talking to someone and still feel like they're a friend but actually they needed more communication from me like more text messages I'm talking more about French platonic friendships now but um yeah knowing to keep watering the plant and that is usually people who are neurotypical will need more like check-ins like even if we just say hi how are you yeah even if your, your conversation isn't particularly deep even it doesn't have much substance I have to like remind myself that people need check-ins or they feel neglected and I don't mean that but sometimes I can burn bridges without realizing just by neglecting the bridge and like it just slowly decays rather than like the bridge needs maintenance kind of thing yeah it's good to water that plant all right well we have covered a lot of different topics today So I thank you all for sharing openly. This is a safe space. Don't worry. There's no judgment here. And I just really appreciate all of you opening up. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. It was really good to hear everyone's experiences. Thanks, guys. This was great. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Many individuals with autism are faced with particular challenges throughout their lives, from finding a job to maintaining relationships to simply feeling misunderstood. One common trait that I admire about the self-advocates in our community is their ability to persevere and ask for help when they need it, not letting any obstacle get in their way. Are you a self-advocate willing to share your experiences and educate others? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our global autism community online to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Participate in important conversations on our platform and join us at our next monthly roundtable discussion. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.